Hello, and welcome to episode four of the sequel cast. This is a podcast where we review a movie franchise one movie at a time. I'm your host, Uncle Milkshake. With me is special guest, Jersey Jason. Be sure to check out our website at www.sequelcast.com for past episodes. This time around, we're covering the first installment in the Smokey and the Bandit series, released in 1977. And it apparently was the second highest grossing film of 1977, beaten only by Star Wars. Well, what's actually funny about that is is it had a really, really, really slow release, but we'll talk about that later. It wasn't released to all the theaters around. Um, it actually started in the South and kind of trickled out like a virus. Now, when we were getting ready for this, I had never seen a Smokey and the Bandit movie, and I thought, oh, I'm really excited. I haven't seen Burt Reynolds in anything except for Quigley Down Under. And then I realized wait, 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 I was wait. thinking of You've Tom Selleck seen... <laughs> instead of Burt Reynolds. Had you ever seen Burt Reynolds in a car movie at all, like Cannibal Run or White Lightning or no. Gator? No, no. The only thing I had seen Burt Reynolds in, actually, was uh, Boogie Nights, and uh, I think he had a cameo in Mel Brooks' uh, silent movie. I don't think so. Um, I love the man. Uh, I love his mustache. I love his chest. His face uh, left. I like his, yeah. Well, no, 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 he did not have a face left back then. Right. Um, he's, well, now. I, I like him as a character actor, but I also like him in these kind of giddy, fun movies. At the time, he was a huge star. He was kind of the biggest name he is, uh, who's somebody to compare him to today? Who's somebody who's like in every movie? Colin Firth? Maybe. I can't, I can't think of it. I had one in my notes and I totally forgot what it was. But the thing is, is he was in every movie along the pike. He was the big name. He was the big star of that time. And he was doing like every one of these country-ish movies. Well, I take that back. The only car movie with Burt Reynolds I had seen before uh, Smokey and the Bandit is Driven with Sylvester Stallone, which is a NASCAR uh, movie that's not that good. But he also was known for taking a lot of creative control of anything he worked on because he did have a name. He was he wasn't a name. He was a name. And what's funny is this movie probably could have been made without him but I don't think it would have been as popular. And interestingly enough, I didn't realize Burt Reynolds had actually directed a few movies in his career. Uh, he did not du- direct any of the Smokey and the Bandits, but he directed a um, a movie called Sharky's Machine is probably the most famous yep. thing he did. Wasn't he a sex symbol at the time as well? Oh, absolutely. Well, we'll talk about that a little more because in the movie, it's with Sally Fields, and at the time, he was with Sally Fields. Oh, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? Oh, oh goodness. I, I'm um, saving that up. When I rented the DVD, they had a brief documentary I saw most of, and he mentioned how they wanted someone other than Sally Field for the role of Frog, but he had to convince them to take Sally Field just because of See, his star power. I would have preferred a blonde or a redhead, because I really, I think a redhead, because hey, it worked for any which way but loose. Um, it's so weird seeing Sally Field without wrinkles and a puffy face. Like really? Because I remember her. I remember her as the flying nun, and she had such a clean young face in this movie. How old was she at the time? How old was he at the time? Let's look this up on the Wayback Machine. This movie I said was seventy-seven. Burt Reynolds was forty-one. Wow. And Sally Field was. Holy crap! Burt Reynolds is like seventy-five now. Yeah, that's older than Stallone. Stallone is uh, oh, late 60s. At the time, Sally Field was 31. So Burt Reynolds was 41, Sally Field she, was 31. I gotta say this, though. Um, I don't like her in the movie, Super Amazing, but god damn, she looks good. 
She looks good in those bell bottoms. Oh, she's very flat-chested, but man. Well, she makes jokes about being flat-chested in the movie, about being mistaken for a boy. Let's talk a little bit about the plot. I mean, we have to we have to kind of introduce how all this occurs. What plot? Smoke. Okay, so. Smokey and the, on the DVD, Burt Reynolds describes in a vintage interview from the 70s when the movie came out, he describes Smokey and the Bandit as kind of like a Chinese food. A few hours after you're done watching it, you're ready for another movie. I can see where he's coming from. I, I find the movie pretty enjoyable, pretty funny, mostly due to, to Burt Reynolds. And the storyline has to do with a character called the Bandit, played by Burt Reynolds, who his past is never really described that well. He just kind of goes from place to place. Well, all it really see, yeah, again, he seems like he's kind of a modern-day gypsy, but um, it has him as a big rig driver, uh, along with this man called uh, Cletus, Cletus uh, Snow. And they're kind of a duo that, they seem to be legends of big rigging. What happens is you have big and little, little Enos, uh, anus. Is it anus or enus? It's enus. It's, enos. It, it, enus? It's, it's spelled enos, E-N-O-S, but it's pronounced enus, and I, that has to be a penis joke, doesn't it? No, you think it's penis? I thought Big it was enus. an anus. Big e- oh, oh, maybe Big anus. Little anus. I th- ooh, you could be right. It could be a penis joke. A penis or an anus joke. You'll only find that subtlety in Smokey and the Bandit. Well, basically, there are two very, very rich gentlemen. One is the son and one is the elder. Uh, the son is actually played... No, 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 no. Okay. The son is played by Paul Williams, who was also a prolific songwriter of the time. Paul Williams was a massively, massively famous composer. He did a little bit of acting. He was on an episode of The Muppet Show. What was, he, what was the famous song that he did? Why do birds suddenly appear? So he performed it or did he just write it? He wrote it, he performed it. Um, he also did the song Raindrops, You're Falling in My Head. He actually, he's the one who created the Phantom of the Paradise, which is an amazing movie that I wish I could talk about, but there's no sequel. Um, but one of the things that they're kind of the instigators of this, they have been betting drivers to get them a certain commodity, uh, which is illegal, and that being uh, Coors beer. But at the time, taking beer across, uh, especially Coors, taking Coors across the line uh, over Mississippi was considered bootlegging in the 70s, and it was on, against the law, of course. Uh, so you couldn't transport any amount of beer uh, across state lines. The bandit and uh, Cletus, who's also referred to as Snowman, has this challenge. He is offered $80,000 to drive to Texarkana, Texas. Well, he's, he's in Atlanta. He's, he's in to Atlanta. drive to Texarkana, Texas. And then he has to come all the way back to Alabama, or uh, all the way back to Atlanta, in under 28 hours. The cool thing about that is, is that you could drive it if you're flooring it. You could easily get to there and back. I'm not sure how fast big rigs are supposed to go and still be controllable. But again, you're going to go over speed limits. So what do you need? You need a car. Not is, just any car. You need a Trans Am, 1977 uh, Pontiac Trans Am. God, yeah. Oh, my God. Just a beautiful black Pontiac Trans Am, uh, floor that sucker. That's what's uh, basically, that's what's bought by uh, Bandit to be the blocker. Now, do you want to go and talk about what a blocker's job is? From what I could gather in this movie, a, uh, a blocker goes ahead of the truck to kind of watch for any police or roadblocks or trouble nearby that might slow him down. And then he'll go back and talk to the trucker over the uh, CB radio and warn him of any troubles that are ahead. 
But at the same time, he's also taking all the heat. He, any cops or whatever that might think about stopping the big rig for going like 20 over speed limit will go after Bandit for going 100 over the speed limit. So this plot is very simple. And actually, there's a, a song in the movie called Eastbound and Down. Eastbound down, loaded up and trucking. We're going to do what they said can't be done. Eastbound and down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound, just watch old bandit run. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound, just watch old bandit run. God, I mean that that song, it's so invocative of the road. This is this is a road movie, but it's also a very anti-authoritative movie. Anti-cops. Um, and I'd like to mention the title. It's called Smokey and the Bandit. Smokey is just a basic term they use to refer to the police. You can also call them bears. Um, I got some. I got a whole like list of CB language. <laughs> Hey there, Robert Becky. This is Big Bear. Hey, you got some, you got a gumball, gumball machine on your uh, backside. Uh, let those barn doors open. There's a whole bunch of like horrible. The 70s had all these great trucker movies. The CB movement actually took off, and almost everybody had a CB in their car. My parents actually had a CB in their car till I think 1989. And they would use it, and it became like a big thing. Everybody would use it and communicate. This is before cell phones. This is the closest thing you had to uh, a car phone. The CB radio cheap. is so important in this movie. There's so many scenes where just random people are sort of listening to see, oh, where's uh, the bandit now? Because the bandit is some kind of a legend in how he evades the police. Well, you know what it's like? It's like he's a Robin, uh, uh, modern-day Robin Hood. And all these people are aiding him against the sheriff. Let's talk about the sheriff. Sheriff Buford T. Justice. Played by played by the master. He was known, he, again, prolific comedian. How do you convince, how do you get Gleason onto a movie like this? The director, Needham, actually sent Jackie Gleason a script. And Jackie Gleason called back and said, what makes you think I'm going to do this movie? And he said, well, number one. I'm a fan. I've seen every Honeymooners episode. Uh, second, this isn't the final script. Uh, and third, you can do whatever. Uh, you basically have free reign because I'm directing it. So whatever you want to do. Um, and, and then he said, I'll do it. I think, that's, I think that is absolutely hilarious because he's so good in it. He gets red-faced. He, he was kind of old by that point. Um, he was I don't in his know early how, 60s at the time. I don't know how many like roles were coming to him, but he just he overtakes this this role, and and again because you had these names on it that kind of had free reign with what they did. You had these lines, these very inspired lines, which just feel very natural and, and frankly very comedic. And Jackie uh, Gleason gives such a subtle performance as Sheriff T. Buford Justice. Wait, wait, wait! <laughs> Is subtle the right word to use there? No, no. I mean it's. It's overblown, but I mean, it, this whole movie reminds me just of the Bugs Bunny Elmer Fudd dynamic. Well, it's been compared to uh, the Roadrunner. Sure. Um, yeah. yep. It's it's a live action. It is a live action cartoon. It's all it is is really a chase. But the reason for Sheriff T. Justice chasing Bandit is he's got a son in his car, and his son the entire time is wearing um, a groom suit because Sally Fields, who I guess hitchhikes with uh, Bandit in this beautiful Pontiac Trans Am. Sally Fields 
is running from being married to. He's just called Junior. Yeah. It's just called Junior. Played by Mike. Well, he's still Junior, and he plays very dumb. He plays very thick. Uh, at one point, uh, actually, do you want to share that line? Oh, so there's a scene where this truck clips the door off Buford Justice's car, and <laughs> the sheriff hands it to his son, Junior, and says, here, stick this in the back. And he just tosses it in the back, this whole door tosses it in the back seat. And Buford just sits there and says, are you sure you came from my loins? Because when I get home, I'm going to pop your mama in the mouth. Wait, I'm sorry, Matt, you got it wrong. There's no way, there's no way that someone like you came from my loins. When I get home, I'm going to punch your mama in the mouth. And and you you really hate the character. You, he's kind of racist. Yeah. He's, he's very sure of himself. He kind of takes control of every situation, but he's made to look the buffoon by the bandit. One key thing in the movie is, as you mentioned, it is Buford's son, Junior that's supposed to be married to Sally Field, whose character's name is Carrie, but she's a runaway bride. However, this is never revealed to Bandit during the whole movie. So Bandit doesn't know why Buford has it in for him specifically. He thinks it's because he has all the uh, Coors Light in the truck. Well, you know, though, I think there is some realization in Bandit because... uh, um... Carrie isn't that great a liar. And there are times when he like asks her, like, I wonder what he's looking for. She's like, I don't know. And she's like, does a rolling eye to the audience. We know, oh yeah, she's supposed to get married. And every character in this movie has a handle. Sally Field's character is given the handle of Frog. And she's very confused by this nickname. She goes, well, you know, why, why do you call me Frog? And he says, you hop around like a frog. You're cute like a frog. And I want to jump you. See, there's all these little lines in this movie that are so... Burt Reynolds slick. Yeah, I like yeah. to call it, I'm gonna call it that the Burt Reynolds slick. Well, he no. it even looks like when he it looks like even in the edits, it looks like he's laughing at his own jokes. It's like the comedy you see when you see the outtakes of uh, him and Dom DeLuise. He seems to be having fun. This movie feels like it had a lot of aspects that were fun to film. And I think also Burt Reynolds kinda makes a movie fun just by being there. I mean it's Burt Reynolds. I'm a I'd like to meet the man before he dies. And originally, the part of Bandit was going to be played by the person that plays the snowman, Cletus, Jerry Reed. But then Burt Reynolds happened to know the director and decided he was going to do the lead. Despite the studio, the studio wanted Burt Reynolds. And the reason that they, the, the real reason they got Burt Reynolds, the reason they were able to get Burt Reynolds, is that the director Needham. Uh, was actually living at Burt Reynolds' house at the time. He was basically roommates with Burt Reynolds because they worked so close together on uh, Gator and White Lightning. Needham had been second director on The Longest Yard, which is the prison movie that Burt Reynolds made, and they became really good friends. And at the time, he was living living, um, in the palatial Burt Reynolds estate. So yeah, so Smokey and the Bandit was Needham's directorial debut, and later in his career he did such films as Smokey and the Bandit 2, both Cannonball Run movies, God, yeah. and a bunch of made-for-TV uh, Smokey and the Bandit movies that starred a different actor in the lead. Needham was known as one of the most prolific, prolific um, stunt coordinators. He had done so many car movies. Well, not. He had done a lot of car movies, and he had done a lot of stunts, and 
not a single person in this entire movie got hurt. Nobody was maimed. Nobody was even damaged. But they did happen to total every car they were using. Uh, the Trans Am, I believe, in total, they used uh, five Trans Ams. So Needham is the opposite of John Landis when it comes to safety? Yeah. Oh, oh. ouch. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, okay, yes. But at the same time, it, he was known for being one of the best stunt coordinators. Um, he had a really he had a really good reputation, which also I think helped facilitate this uh, movie. He actually got the idea for the movie while working on Gator, because um, they were drinking Coors Light in Atlanta, and he found out that the maid was stealing the Coors Light in his car from his uh, mini fridge, and when he caught her. He asked her why, and she said, well, because Coors Light is is illegal to bring over to the state. My boyfriend really likes it. And he thought, that'll make a great movie, transporting beer across straight lines. That's one of the strengths of Smokey and the Bandit, is it has a simple plot and sticks to it. It doesn't try to complicate things. It knows it's kind of a big, dumb summer movie. It's a race against time. If you didn't have... If you didn't have Sally Fields... Yeah, but it's not like a tense race against time. It's not like Buford no, it's, is trying to like shoot Burt Reynolds to death constantly or something. I mean, that he, is true. He, stops, really he stops for half an hour to have, or five minutes or whatever to have sex with Frog. You know, they tap in that fine Sally Fields ass. Which is another good scene because she goes, well, why don't you ever take off your hat? And he says, I take off my hat just for one thing. She's like, oh, okay. And then two minutes later, she's like, well, you want to take off your hat? And he's like, sure. And you don't see anything. <laughs> it's a good euphemism. Yeah. I would say that next time. Maybe I think it's time to take off a hat. They are completely from different worlds. She's a New York actress, uh, or dancer, I should say, who likes all those kind of musical things. She knows all these uh, great composers and uh, great things about entertainment. And then he knows a bunch about country music and, uh, I guess, Southern living. And they really are from two different worlds, but they can get together because of a Trans Am and Bag in the Woods. Yeah, there isn't as much to say about the plot as this movie as one of the Beverly Hills Cops uh, films we discussed And I think earlier. that's good. It is. I think comedies should have simple plots. It wasn't successful in, like, New York where it premiered. It wasn't for the New York set. It, it, anybody, all the critics have said, said, oh, it's a very simple plot, it's interesting, but it won't fly up here. Because it was such a, I guess, delightful movie for those in the southern states. It really took off down there. The 70s were kind of a depressing decade, especially if you were a trucker. There was the fuel shortages, all these political scandals. You had terrible leadership. You had um, Kafka-esque police forces filled with bigotry, uh, and you had economic stagnation. There wasn't anything really hopeful. But then this movie comes around, and it's relentlessly, relentlessly upbeat and, and fun because it's poking a finger at the establishment and saying, we can still get into a muscle car and, and drive around the country showing off. I mean, the one thing in this movie is everybody has a CB. They're all connected in that way. And they're all connected to this bandit. And they're all having fun at, um, like, uh, a puke and choke, which is uh, basically a restaurant, somewhere to get coffee and food. And everybody's got these really cool cars. And everybody's just having fun. And this was a time when people weren't sitting inside their houses on the internet listening to podcasts. Oh, sorry, guys. Every car movie after that owes so much to Smokey and the Bandit. In this, 
everything was done for real. I mean, the only things that I guess weren't really, um, there's a point where Sally Fields is in Burt Reynolds' lap. Um, there's a part also where they're trying to change seats. Burt Reynolds isn't a stunt driver, but they would put the Trans Am up on a truck, and that would be what would be driving. So in truth, Burt Reynolds and Sally Fields were in a constructed grid so that the cameras could actually shoot from any angle and could still be moving through the scenery. You didn't have the green screen technology. Everything was done within four to five minutes at Atlanta, Georgia. Everything was done outside. There wasn't any kind of like studio shots. So the movie spends a lot of time with Bandit and Frog. What do you think about the scenes that focus on uh, Snowman, who's alone in the truck with his dog? Well, Snowman's kind of a stoic character. He, he only has like, a simple thing to do. He only has to drive back and forth and keep his eyes out, of course, for the cops and hope that Bandit's doing his job, which is taking the heat. There is one point where he takes on a group of bikers and gets his ass kicked, but uh, he runs over their bikes with the truck. It's shown the strength of the big rig and the person behind the big rig. They were their own society, I guess. And again, connected by the CBs. At um, an hour and 17 minutes in, Snowman almost gets caught by uh, speeding, first speeding, by an evil Knievel, which is CB talk for motorcycle cop. And while, uh, like, the cop says, oh, you truckers, you think you own the road? And Bandit comes up, does a full 180, and Sally Fields gives him the bird. Thus, we kind of understand why you have to have the blocker. But also, it shows that there was tension on the roads between... Uh, an authority figure, the cop, who really, they're bullies, but at the same time, they are enforcing laws that exist for a reason. We see Bandit forcing all these cars off the road, and even Snowman hits uh, one of the cops with his big rig. And think about the pileups. Think about other people who could have been hurt. Uh, think about what if Bandit had flipped somebody over and, like, killed a seven-year-old? Speaking of pileups, there's a great pileup in the movie. There's a famous sequence where the bandit is driving. He thinks there's a bridge, but the bridge is under construction. It's not completed all the way. So he goes really fast and launches himself over the bridge and makes it over. Meanwhile, the cops are trying to chase him. One of the cop cars, you know, notices the bridge gives out, slams on the brake, falls into the lake down below. And right behind him is another cop car that sort of teeter-totters that's just barely <laughs> over the edge that has Buford and Junior in it. And they're talking on the CB, very frustrated. And then there's another cop car that slams behind them and pushes them just barely enough over the edge to knock their car into the lake. Well, it's funny. You know what I was actually thinking about? Comparatively, also look at um, look at the Blues Brothers movie. Let me see when that was, yeah. Because uh, Blues Brothers has a lot of chases between the, uh, the cops and the titular Blues Brothers. Idiots. It's a show that if you're the right kind of guy, you get away with anything. And uh, So Blues Brothers came out in 1980, that's... three years after Smokey and the Bandit, and it has very similar sort of cross-country chases. I think they, they owe a lot to the country. Absolutely. I think they owe a lot to the chases. Um, oh, and you know what? Another fun part that I like, um, Bandit, uh, when he drives on water, I believe that it was Matthew 14, verse 22 to 33, and that shows truly the uh, holy powers of Bandit. Wiser words were never spoken the end of the movie is very inconsequential. They're well, they, getting... they get it there. They get the cores to uh, the, uh, the Enos 
the father and son uh, team. And people were cheering them on the last stretch of the way. If people have their cars. And why not? Sure. Again, like I said, it's like a race. He gets there on time. He gets there what ten minutes on uh, uh, ten minutes before the deadline. Right. Even though cops are chasing him with helicopters by that point. And when he gets there, the Enos brothers challenge him to double or nothing when he wants to get his cash. So he stops and thinks about it, and Frog yells out, we'll take it, what's the bet? And they want him to drive up to uh, Boston, Massachusetts, to get some clam chowder, and then come back to Atlanta in 18 hours. Now, technically, if I really were to drive it, I can get, I can get to New Jersey in about, I think, 16 hours from Atlanta. That's going um, one way. Back then. Yeah, going one way it takes yeah. me 16 hours. I don't think that they're going to get there in time. But then again, we'll see in the sequel. Oh. Is Smokey and the Bandit 2 about getting clam chowder? We'll be watching it and reporting on it next. Smokey and the Bandit, would you recommend this movie to someone? Absolutely. Uh, again, prolific chase movie. If you're just looking for a funny movie, just to watch. You could even have it in the background. It's got some great country music. Bandit, you and you live much too hard Bandit, you're the joker In the deal of the cause In fact, most of the, I think, the main music in the movie was performed by Jerry Reed, who was also an actor. He plays Snowman. So you have an actor in the movie also providing the soundtrack, which is fairly unusual. But uh, now, He's been in some other movies, and I know he's done other songs, but... Eastbound and Down he, was a hit for him, was a big, big song. And I like Smokey and the Bandit, and I hate Southerners, I hate country music, and I hate cars. Wait, 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 let's not alienate the listeners. I like all that stuff. Okay, maybe I don't hate, I don't like Southern humor, let me clarify that. A lot of the times, I don't find it... I don't like shows like King of the Hill, for example, or uh, Hee Haw. Despite all that, Smoking the Bandit won me with Burt Reynolds' delivery and, and Jackie Gleason's bombastic, angry Buford T. Justice. Buford T. Justice, yeah. That is, that is a character that I think Jackie Gleason will definitely be known for. And, and the same with Burt Reynolds. I mean, he'll always be known as the Bandit. No matter who tries to make a remake which is ill-advised, if anything, in this day and age. I'm kind of surprised they haven't done a remake of Smokey and the Bandit, because they did a remake. You know why? Why? Because him, the director, owns all the rights to the movie. Really? And he's very tight-fisted. So if they were ever going to make a movie, they would need his okay, and they would really need to do a top-notch movie. But I don't think this is the right time. I think this movie fits the 70s completely. Don't think it would have worked in the 80s. Don't think it would have worked in the 90s. And I don't think it can work now. Do you think you could do a remake of Smokey and the Bandit with Jason Lee as the Bandit? Ugh, no. How about The Rock with a mustache? Um, you know what, though? Actually, I can imagine The Rock as uh, Buford T. Justice. But it would become a funny Disney movie, and I don't want that. Anywho, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to uh, this episode of the Sequel Cast. Be sure to visit the website at www.sequelcast.com. If you have any fan mail or any hate mail, send an email to sequelcast at gmail.com. Look for us on iTunes. Uh, the website, again, is sequelcast.com. This is Uncle Milkshake. And Jersey J. Signing off. Uh, see us again, listen to us again in 2010, early January, for the next episode, in which we'll cover Smokey and the Bandit 2.